Well, hey there. Welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we live lives that unlock that just a little bit more courage and more love in our everyday lives. My name is Reverend Sean, and I am back from sabbatical, as you may have heard last week. I am back from five months where I got to explore a a deep practice of Sabbath, but I am super excited uh, to be back in this podcast. It's actually one of the anchors of my week is being able to to kind of dive into what we did on Sunday with a, with a new lens, a new perspective. Now, I'm diving into this series that you've all been exploring, Life Changing, which is all about how we move through the process of change, which it's, it's super easy, I think, for a lot of us to think that there are periods of stagnation and then periods of change, but really, there's always change. We're always living through experiences of change. And so how we meet those changes is really important. And I've been really enjoying Karen Herring's work and her book, Trusting Change. And one of the parts that she talks about that I think is just so instructive is about how, as we're moving through a threshold and we're, we're stepping into that new beginning, how do we trust uh, that that new beginning is life-giving for us, that it's the right type of new beginning? Because you know, change isn't just one way. We can often change and go back to old patterns. We can revert back to old ways of being that don't serve us or that service other sorts of masters. And so how do we figure that out? And Karen offers a really useful paradigm, a really useful lens, which is to think about whether or not that the change that we're stepping into is allowing us to step in and embrace a greater fullness, or is it helping us shirk away from from challenge and responsibility and fullness? Now, trust me, I will be the first person to admit that many times in my life, when I have thought about moving through a threshold, I have been seduced and lulled because of fear or what is it even? It's sometimes fear and it's sometimes uh, confusion. You know, I have been pulled into that less expansive, that more fearful space. And what I've noticed is that in those moments where I'm moving through a threshold and I'm uh, at, at risk of, of shrinking away from the challenge and rather than letting the challenge grow me, there's a piece of me that has known. There's a piece of me that has been afraid, a piece of me that has been worried, anxiety has been in the driver's seat, or or just something like that. There's a piece of me that has felt dislocated or disjointed or disoriented or not fully on board. And it's that sort of knowing that we're going to be exploring today in the podcast. That sort of deeper, deeper than language, that a capacity to trust something within ourselves to help us navigate change. In Trusting Change, Karen shares a quote from a Quaker teacher, Douglas Steer. And Douglas says that God is always revising our boundaries outwards. And I know that many of us have a different perspective on what God is, and it may not be a word that works for you. But for me, that kind of the essence of what that quote is saying is that the, the desire or at the heart of life, of a full living, of living in attunement maybe to the interdependent web, has to do 
with an expansiveness, a greater capacity to integrate self, other, and something greater together, and to live with a, a greater capacity for wholeness, a greater capacity to be in relationship across difference and across challenges, a greater capacity to, to see what is true and to live in, in the paradox of truth, of, of being alive and having to die and all of that, that can be a really useful guide for us as we think about and move through these paradigms of change. Now, in a minute, you're going to listen to my first message back from sabbatical, which, you know, I, I feel a little rusty. So I'm a little, you know, uh, I don't know what's the word, uh, projective or something of it, because um, it's been a while since I've pulled together something like this. So you're going to hear this, and it's really a capstone to this series, because I am inviting us to think about how that as we step out into something new, that we may actually be further along in the journey than we think we are, precisely because of the work that that inner knowing does in guiding us in, in subtle and not so subtle ways, whether it be putting us in relationship with certain people or knocking on our hearts and helping us fall apart at the right way, which is something you're going to hear about. Now, this whole message came together because I read this beautiful blessing from John O'Donohue in his book of blessings. It's a, a blessing that I return to throughout the message. And so I, I wanted to invite you to listen to it as a way of getting into the heart space, the head space of the message. Um, I actually happened to have a recording of a friend and colleague reading this specific blessing. And so in a minute, I'm going to play that. Uh, it's Reverend Zachary Vinson, uh, who serves our congregation on Bainbridge Island in Washington State. And so I'm going to invite you, wherever you are, just to take a moment to ground yourself, feel the earth beneath your feet. If you're walking around doing chores or outside, maybe underneath you, if you're laying down, just allow that support to kind of to hold you. You may want to look around and notice the exits and the windows. Look behind you. All of that can help you just find some deactivation in your nervous system. And then I just invite you to receive this blessing as a blessing for you. As a blessing for something even unnamed or unrealized, a beginning that is curling itself around you. So let's take it in together. For a New Beginning by John O'Donoghue. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, 
your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plentitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unflurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you'll be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits. I should confess, I said to my future husband as we were filling out our paperwork to get our marriage licenses, that I have been married before. He paused, looking quizzically at my 28-year-old self, his brain trying to figure out how exactly this fact had escaped mentioning in our years of dating. Yeah, and it was a girl, too. His face twitched visibly at hearing that knowing that I have been out as gay and queer since high school. I just continued, her name was Amarina, and we got married behind Rosemont Elementary School. Our mutual friend Eric, with a K, presided. It was one of those lunch hour weddings that were very popular in kindergarten at the time. Charles just rolled his eyes at me. Obviously, this marriage was of little consequence to him, even though I'm pretty sure we kissed, although my memory's a little bit hazy at this point. Now, Amarina was one of my dear friends in elementary school. She was loud. She was smart. She was boisterous. She was so exuberant that my parents often cringed when I mentioned that I wanted to invite her over during the winter months when we'd have to be inside together. That was the level of her exuberance. She, alongside a few others, Vera, Emily, Eric, would comprise our crew, all of us meeting in kindergarten. And we gathered every day. It was like our little ritual before school and at recess and at lunch at a place that we called The Place. It was this bare patch of dirt near the fence that had lodged in it this medium-sized rock. It was our open-air clubhouse of sorts, the gathering place of our motley crew of nerds, because that's who we were. Together, our friendship seemed normal, natural even even as it resisted the implicit mandate of gender segregation that pervaded elementary school social life. And we were happy together. But as the years advanced, the pressure, it, it sort of mounted. I mean, what people would say behind our back early in those years, once whispered behind at recess, was becoming emboldened, was becoming kind of shouted at us. You know, in those early years, we had, all of us, we had this sort of free agency. We could move between our multi-gendered peer group and our other gender-specific friendships. But as grade four or fourth grade rolled around, it became increasingly clear that we had to choose. 
hang together and be alone together. Or break it up and gain access to the world of gender-segregated friendships of girls' sleepovers and boys' roughhousing, I guess. Most of us held strong. One of us, Eric, peeled away. No longer meeting us at the place, sitting with us at lunch, sharing in the secrets that make up the lives of elementary schoolers. The day I realized Eric was gone, we had gotten into a fight. I think the only way he could leave was if there was a reason, and he made that reason about me. I remember crying. My back pressed up against the wall of the school near the Foursquare Court. It was hard. Hard to lose a friend. Hard to lose a friend for a reason like that. Looking back at it, I can have a lot more compassion for the challenging situation that Eric found himself in. But in that moment, I was just devastated. Now, this past week marked the annual National Coming Out Day, where gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, two-spirit, intersex, and asexual people celebrate the courage, the power, and the resolve of every person who has come out. Whether that means coming out to themselves, coming out to friends, coming out to family members, coming out publicly. Coming out is a deeply personal act, and often it feels like a beginning. I saw some of my colleagues on Facebook post about how their coming out day was sort of another birthday. And that you'd almost count the days or the years since you came out as the real markers of your life, of living your authentic life. Now, I started coming out in junior high school. At first, I was the only one I knew, but slowly, over the years, more and more people would pull me aside to share their truth. And I watched in joy as in the months preceding, they would go on to claim their truth more boldly. And that just continued. And it was on Instagram a few years ago that I reconnected with Amarina. Just for those of you who are wondering, we did get divorced in grade six. We remembered that we were married, and so we were in the library, and so we wrote our names on pieces of paper and ripped them up. Seemed as legal as getting married, right? But Amarina is now a nurse in Atlantic Canada. And I got to see little snapshots of her life through Instagram. We connected, and I also got to learn about her girlfriend. You see, I wasn't the only queer in that circle of friends. In fact, more than half of us who gathered at the place every recess would eventually come out. I mean, what are the chances, you might think? If all things were equal, it's improbable. But all things aren't equal. Because we didn't just stumble into expectation-defying relationships. We found each other. We sought each other out. We claimed each other as partners. As Gretchen preached about last week, future queers flocking together. Accessing a wisdom, a knowing deep inside, deeper than language, deeper than conscious thought, a sort of soul knowing. We came out to each other on the playground, but not with the words, I'm queer, but with our friendship never realizing in that moment why. 
why we had brought ourselves together, but looking back, it just makes sense. Most beginnings don't begin where you think they do. As John O'Donohue reminds us, in the out-of-the-way places of the heart where your thought never thinks to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. Most beginnings don't begin when you think they do. I wonder if you've had this experience when you look back at your life and seeing how something that felt new, earth-shatteringly new as you stepped into the unknown was actually the next step in a longer journey. That upon reflection, looking backwards, you can see the ghostly echoes of that beginning gathering themselves together around you, maybe laying dormant for years or decades, maybe incrementally growing, but they were there waiting for you. I wonder where you have seen the arc of continuity stretch through your life or the life of a community or of this church, where you've seen a drive, a yearning, a desire, a commitment, a loyalty, or a truth, an arc that was hard to discern in any individual moment. But when you step back, you can see the thread weaving its way through. I wonder what beginning is awakening for you, for all of us, in this moment. I wonder what beginning is quietly waiting for us to be ready for it. This is the end of my second week back after a five-month sabbatical, which means for the past five months, except for two Sundays, I did not go to church. I stepped away from my ministry role here at Foothills, and I spent the time practicing Sabbath that intentional period of fallowness, of tending to the soul in ways that are hard to do without a prolonged time away. And it was a deep gift to have those five months. And I'm grateful for this community, for making it happen. It was a deep gift and it was deeply challenging. I thought my sabbatical would be a beginning of so many things. You know, for instance, I thought because I had the time off and my husband quit his job too. So I thought with all of this time in between us, that this would be the time that we could finally tackle those new routines and systems for our family that would make managing our household that much easier and smoother. Get it all figured out. I like that some of you are shaking your heads because that didn't happen. I dreamed that I would have time to spend thinking and writing every day, that I might even consider the implications of the metaverse or the growing VR world for the 21st century church. (laughs) That did not happen. Those were not the beginnings that sabbatical had in mind for me, because most beginnings don't begin where you think they do. Now, Some of you may be thinking to yourself, all of this talk of beginnings gathering themselves together, waiting for you feels a little too neat, a little too tidy, a little too convenient. And let me tell you, I feel you. Sometimes this reality of beginnings, beginning before you think they do, is actually a little bit more unpleasant than a delightful backwards realization when you realize that you're in the middle of a story that you thought was over. 
and the beginning that you dreamed about wasn't going to happen until you attended to a few things. That experience was my experience this year when I attended General Assembly. Now, General Assembly is the annual gathering of Unitarian Universalists and Gretchen this year had been asked to be the Sunday morning preacher, which is an honor that's bestowed only on a few colleagues. And she asked for my help in creating the worship service, like no pressure. Now, I arrived in Portland, Oregon, where General Assembly was going to take place, and I just had one of those moments where it just all hit me. Just everything. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where it just kind of all hits you where suddenly you see with clarity what is right in front of you, and it's kind of like a punch to the gut. You see, the last time I was in Portland was seven years ago, also for a general assembly. And upon arriving, it was like the weight and the reality of everything that had transpired in those seven intervening years hit me all at once. Seven years ago, I had just graduated seminary, was unmarried, newly in love, child-free, and was looking forward to finding my first job as a minister. I hadn't even heard of Foothills Unitarian Church back then. Which is to say, in reverse, seven years ago was before I got married, before I was ordained, called, installed, before I became a green card holder, and before I became a foster parent. I remember what it felt like seven years ago. How sure I sort of felt about myself how possible and inevitable progress felt in the world, how simple my life was, how unentangled, how hope wasn't a stretch. I mean, you remember seven years ago. Seven years ago was before COVID. Seven years ago was before Trump. Before the trauma that administration left on this nation's soul before we saw the overt mobilization of fascism again. Seven years ago at General Assembly, we gathered for an emergency worship service to celebrate marriage equality becoming law. The Supreme Court decision came down during General Assembly. This year, the emergency actions at General Assembly were about rage. Rage at the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Standing in the same convention center, I was overcome with this time-space vertigo, disoriented by the way that time seemed to have gone backwards and forwards at once. And all of this erupted within me something that you could call feelings. Feelings that, as one wise colleague reminded me, often come too fast, too furious. In that moment, I felt as though I was going to come undone, undone at my own seams, just by the sheer blizzard of everything. And I felt that I was not a person that should be part of leading a worship service, that I felt like I had very little wisdom to offer. Now, the Quaker teacher Parker Palmer shares this little nugget of wisdom that there was a time when farmers on the Great Plains, at the first sign of a blizzard, would run a rope from the back door of their house to the barn. Because all of them had had stories. They knew of people who had wandered off and froze to death 
having lost sight of home in a whiteout while they were still in their own backyards. He continues, today we live in a blizzard of another sort. It swirls around us as economic injustice, ecological ruin, physical and spiritual violence, and their inevitable outcome, war. It swirls within us as fear and frenzy, greed and deceit, and indifference to the suffering of others. We all know stories, Parker says, of people who have wandered off into this madness and have been separated from their own souls, losing their moral bearings and even their mortal lives. But my experience of the blizzard, which includes getting lost in it more often than I like to admit, Parker says, tells me that this is not so, even in the blizzard of life, that connection to our souls, to who we are, this life-giving core of who we are can never be truly severed. That we can forget it, lose sight of it, be drawn away from it. But it always is there if we're able to listen, to listen to that soul within us. Now, I know for many of us, soul is not a word that we may be comfortable with. It has implications you know, of some sort of, you know, transcending spirit within us. But I like his definition, which is the the life-giving core of the human self. Because I think it gives us a degree of theological flexibility that no matter what your beliefs are, we can find something that resonates there. That within every one of us, there is this life-giving core that when we tap into it contains a wisdom about our truth, contains a hunger for love and belonging. It is the soul that notices, as O'Donohue writes, that feeling of emptiness growing inside us. It's the soul that notices our desire. It notices how we will ourselves on, how we're still sometimes unable to leave what we have outgrown. I mean, you know what I mean when you experience a disjointedness, a dislocation from yourself. When you may not know why, but something just doesn't fit right. Or maybe the opposite, you've had the experience where you suddenly become aware of the euphoria of landing right in your truth. Now, Parker continues, the soul's order can never be destroyed. It may be obscured, forgotten, or denied, and yet we are still in its background with chance after chance to regain our bearing. And when we catch sight of it, we can survive the blizzard without losing hope or our way. When we catch sight of the soul, we can become healers in a wounded world. Now the queer parts of my soul that would make themselves known more fully in time guided me back in elementary school, from a deep place of knowing. It helped me and others to survive, to find joy in an environment that wasn't overly accepting. After the blizzard of General Assembly, there was a beginning that had its messy roots in the seven years past that was living in my soul, a sort of crying out, a sort of voice that was saying, so much has happened, do you notice? Allow everything that has happened. Slow down and allow everything that has happened and all the ways that you feel about it to arrive in this present moment. 
Sometimes our souls are patient. But when we ignore them for too long, living by external truths at the expense of our own, for too long they will begin to shout louder and louder. Most beginnings don't begin where you think they do. And so for the next three months after General Assembly, my sabbatical practice was letting go of all of the plans I had, all of the good intentions I had hoisted upon myself, and instead trying to trust and attend to all that was going on within me. And it was hard but good work to be doing. And as I embarked on it, spending time just being without producing something, going to therapy, a lot of therapy, tending to relationships that had gone dormant over the last seven years, tending to my body, I noticed how I felt more and more cohesive. How more of my worthiness came from not my job or being useful, producing things or being liked, but instead could be found from a wellspring within. And I could trust more and more the truth, not thought, but felt. Most beginnings don't begin when you think they do. And that's the promise of a beginning, is that it's often less about starting something new, but about letting go and resisting with the deepest, letting go of that resisting of the deepest truths and the parts of your being, what they know to be true. O'Donohue says, though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Most beginnings don't begin where you think they do and think goodness for that. Because that means that when you think you're on the first step of a journey, you're probably at least on the second or the third. Or if we look back and see our ancestors, maybe the three hundredths or the three thousandth. Because the soul or God has been doing the work in the background, preparing us for what is emerging. Now back all those years ago in elementary school at the place, that patch of dirt with the rock lodged within it, my circle of friends caught a glimpse of each other's souls. Our souls sensed the world that awaited us. And together, we found a way to invite it into the present moment, even fractionally, even fractally. And it was beautiful. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really weird to hear yourself uh, talk about these sorts of things, especially when they touch on things that are just really, you know, in your heart. But that's part of the gift of being in a community is that we get to share those things with each other and that we get to have conversations about things that really matter as we so my hope for you is you step into a new beginning, whether it's listening to your soul that's knocking and saying, hey, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to process all the things that are going on. Or if you're stepping out into something that seems really new and really scary, you can trust that 
that that yearning for something within you has been preparing the way for this, that even if it's scary, even if it's new, that there's a part of you that's been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment. And that's a beautiful thing because it means that you've actually, you're further along than you think you are. Well, that, that about wraps up our time together for this week. It's been a delight to be back. I can't wait to uh, hear from all of you who are listening. You know, we get to do these sorts of work and reach all of you because uh, so many people, they give with gratitude uh, to our community and allow us to put this out for the, the hundreds of you who listen. And so I, I just want to offer a gratefulness. If you are one of those people, thank you. If you're considering becoming one of those people, thank you. You can learn more on our website at foothillsuu.org. And until next week, have a good one.